Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast episode 20. So in today's podcast, we're talking about five tips to break 90. We're going to be looking at your golf swing, the pivot, the club face and testing your ball striking, as well as figuring out how to become a better putter and have better strategy on the golf course. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host Andy Proudman. We hope you enjoy this. Let's take charge of your game. So hello, Mr. Proudman. How hello. are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Having a good day? Uh, not bad. It's a good start to the day. Uh, the weather's been a little mixed the last couple of days, but the sun's shining, so in the office for this morning and then coaching this afternoon, so set to be a nice day. Excellent. Well, the golf courses do need a little bit of rain because we've had this amazing summer. We don't need any rain, Pierce. What are you on about? <laughs> the golf courses need it, not us. <laughs> the golf courses need it. So look, hey, it's... Um, it's really exciting for us at the moment, Andy, isn't it? Because we actually launched the Break 90 coaching plan last night. It went live yesterday, so the six-week plan, which has taken us longer than six weeks to edit, film, and you know, just put this plan together. And you know, the reason we wanted to do this podcast is obviously to obviously give you some great information, five tips on how to break 90, but also make you aware of this coaching plan that we've done. We're very passionate about how we can help golfers and these coaching plans for us at Me and My Golf are unbelievably powerful in our opinion. Break 100 was a massive success, wasn't it Andy? But what sort of things are people going to find in Break 90? How's it going to help them? Well, a mixture of things and as you mentioned, Piers, Break 100 um, was our first actual coaching plan that we did and it was interesting because we put together and spent a lot of time creating this plan that's going to work on different aspects of the game, telling people exactly what to do week by week. And we weren't sure how it was going to be received, how how much it was going to help people. We knew we'd have we knew we'd help people. We had a hunch that it could do well. Yeah, and and I think the 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 comments and the feedback have been so good that we we're on the right track. It's yeah. helping people um, stick to a plan, have something to practice for six weeks that they have a real focus of a process to go through. Whereas a lot of golfers just go to the range for six weeks not really sure what they're working on, hitting golf balls and not really actually progressing. So I think the great things about these plans are is you actually have a guide week by week to actually progress through the game. And that's when you're on the range, on the golf course. And that's the great thing about the Break 90 is that we've mixed up so many different things, how to practice on the driving range, things to do on the golf course, some mindset things, course management things. So that it's full of a lot of different areas apart from just working at your golf swing because yeah. we know that you know mm. there's a lot more to it than just swinging the golf club so um, that's what you're going to expect to see in Break 90 a mix of lots of stuff that you can actually implement straight away on the golf course and on the range that you will see some immediate results with that's the key thing and that's exactly right and I think what it is for us is that this is everything that we've done over the last Two or three years of coaching? No. 20 years of coaching which has allowed us to get golfers better Yeah. so we've dumped it all in there now you know, it's really important that you, we just couldn't cover this in a one hour lesson. No. Week one, we couldn't cover in a one hour lesson. So look, there's some great information. Look, what we'd like you to do, just go and have a look. Um, go to meandmygolf.com or even go to YouTube and, and watch week one and let us know what you think about it. We're very, um, you know, always looking to strive to make golfers better. So if, we, if you feel that this actually would make you better, please let us know. So five tips to break 90. So we're giving you a little bit of a taster in here about some of the things that we actually cover, but these are you know, we're looking for multiple reasons on why you want to get better at golf and break 90. We're picking out five which are very, very powerful parts of how um, it's going to help you break 90. So look, the first one, Andy, we'll talk a little bit about technique in this first one, the pivot. The pivot. The pivot. So when we're talking about the pivot, 
For us as coaches, the main driver of a good pivot is how the hips work in the golf swing. Yeah. Now, how the hips work in the golf swing, as I say, for us it's massive. I think for a lot of golfers, they don't really think too much about the hips in their pivot. We think about shoulder turn, we think about getting the lead shoulder underneath the chin and loading the trail side. Well, you can't really do those things efficiently if you have a poor hip motion. Yeah. So whether it be the hips that set up with the right side being very high, which is a common fault that we see, or the sway swing fault. So by the sway swing fault, we mean that is excessive lower body movement away from the target, so laterally away from the target. Now, as soon as somebody sways, they need to be exceptionally gifted or hit a lot of golf balls in, other, in order to get the club back on track for the downswing, don't they? Yeah, and there's not many people, not many top guys that you see actually, <coughs> excuse me, actually have a sway. And I think the reason we sort of picked out the pivot and the sway swing fault specifically is we, when we sat down and discussed um, what this guy looks like or what this girl looks like who struggles to break 90, we sort of had this image in our mind of what we see that person, if they were to come for a lesson with us, what do we generally see them struggle with? And I would say almost 100%, I'd say 95% of these guys would have some issue with how they pivot, how they use the, the lower body, and the majority would have some element of a in, uh, unstable or, in, or instability in the backswing with mm -hmm. the lower body. So they will excessively move the lower body away from the target. And the problem is, problems we see with this is that if the lower body is moving excessively away on the backswing, striking issues can happen because it moves the low points. So the inconsistencies of where you hit the ground is a, a huge thing. So when we talk about low point, just explain that for so me. So the low point is really the lowest point in the swing arc. And we want the lowest point in the swing arc with an iron to be after the golf ball. And if we're moving away from the golf ball with our lower body, then that brings that low point a little bit further back. So it gives you compensations in order to get back to the same place. So that sway really makes it very hard to get that consistent low point. It generally creates a path that can often be left because it struggles. we struggle to turn. So we see this sort of over-the-top move for the right-handed um, golfer, right golfer. And then just loss of power. You know, Being able to actually turn into this trail hip in the backswing and create this nice coil and use the ground efficiently, um, the sway really limits your ability to actually use the ground, start the downswing in the right sequence um, and has a knock-on effect throughout the golf swing. Yeah. So I think if everybody listening to this, if you, if you are somebody who's struggling to break 90, if you were to go and, and, and look on the driving range, maybe even film your, your golf swing and just take a look at what the lower body is doing. If you have an, a sway which the lower body is moving away from the target, then creating a better pivot, creating a more stable lower base is massively going to help you. And I think that's something that everybody should be looking at. Something that we always look at, Pierce. Mm -hmm. One of the first things amongst any golfer, how stable is the lower body? How are they, are they pivoting? Whether they're a five handicap or a 25 handicap, it's so important. Yeah, I think, I think look, as coaches, we're always trying to understand why golfers sway. There's multiple reasons why that can happen. There could be an instability or a lack of mobility in the pelvis, of course, in the, in the trail hip. But there could be a problem with balance. But I think the two main things that we see, the first one would be just momentum. So if you think about a golfer who's obviously trying to get the club head moving back, you know, if you, if you think, well, everything's got to move together. If you look at my golf swing, I have this element of I push into the left leg and then everything moves away from the target. I'm actually mimicking this and no one can actually see what I'm doing. I'm actually swinging in the office now. But 
that momentum that you try and create from a starting position can cause this lateral movement away from the target. Now, luckily, when I do that move away from the target, it's an upper body lateral move, and I very quickly get into the rotation of the pelvis. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. So actually just momentum of trying to get the club moving. The second one would be, we know that the best golfers in the world and the most powerful golfers in the world tend to have a low degrees of hip rotation in the backswing. That's what we generally see, and that's what was taught a lot. You know, if you don't turn, if you turn your hips 30 degrees, you can create more power in your golf swing. But then we look at people, and this has obviously been rebuffed since because people like Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, who have a lot of hip turn, they obviously hit the golf ball as far as anybody. So I think it was a, when people are trying to almost be too stable and not rotate, that can actually cause them to move off the target as well. So what we would actually say to golfers is, if and. I, I have done this on multiple occasions with someone who sways and doesn't rotate a lot. I get them rotating more than 45 degrees. Get yeah. the, as long as you rotate, if you rotated 60 degrees in your backswing, you're probably not going to sway unless you've got really poor awareness. Yeah. So more rotation in, with your hips in the backswing actually is a really good way of actually getting rid of that sway. Definitely. And if you've got any um, analysis tools on your phone or even an iPad, then you know even set that up and take a look. If you can get the, the iPad or phone fixed, draw a line from your trail heel to trail hip, and then see if your, your lower body moves past that line. And the idea really, if you, could, if you can keep your right side, if you're a right-handed golfer, against that line, or keep it inside that line, then you're doing a good job and you're not swaying. And you will definitely see better consistency on strike, power, and also your accuracy as well. Yeah, and a good way, and, a, and that's exactly right. So make sure, first thing on that as well, that you, you tripod it, get it as steady as possible, obviously, so you can take a good analysis. Um, as regards drills, again, a great one that I've used over the years is just to pull the trail foot back a little bit. So aim your feet line 10, 20 degrees to the right. It already starts the rotation in the pelvis and it allows for any mobility issues and it gives you that awareness that your pelvis wants to rotate straight away. So yeah, make sure you understand how your pivot should work. And then as Andy says, make sure you video it so you get some great information. We used to used to be a, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, video and golf swings wasn't something that everyone could do. Everyone can do it now. There's yep. analysis software everywhere as, well, everywhere as well. Okay, number two, club face awareness. So being aware of what the club face is doing. So think of this. There's two things that the club face for us is, is, you know, is the best way to think about the club face. So the first one is the club face is mainly responsible for the start direction of your golf shots. So with a driver, 85% of your start direction is down to where the club face is pointing, not so much where the club path is going. Yeah. Okay. So that's really important to understand. The club face is mainly responsible for the start direction. But also, secondly, the club face is very responsible for your swing style. So by that I mean, if you have an open club face, you will do compensations in your golf swing to allow for that club face so that you can strike the golf ball and hit it in, a, in onto the target. So basically, if your club face is open, it can make you hang back. It can make you, where you put the weight on your trail heel, uh, trail foot, sorry. It can make you early release where you flick the wrists and lose that lag in the downswing. It can make you swing over the top. Again, all these are compensations that you're putting into your downswing to allow for the fact the club face is open. If the club face is closed, it can also cause problems as well. So being aware that a club face can actually cause swing styles, and even swing faults, is actually really important. 
But Andy, when it comes down to the club face start direction, again, that's really important to understand, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just an awareness thing of your ball flight. If you can get on the driving range and understand where your ball is starting, then then that is a really important thing. And I think just having the awareness when you are practicing, knowing where your ball is starting is key. And I think when this is something we get a lot of our students to do, Pierce, where we get them to put a an alignment stick on their start line in front, on their target line in front of them, hit shots and just notice is the ball starting left, is it starting right? Of that alignment stick or is it starting on target now think about this to give you an idea if you present a square face um, at impact so square to target but your path is well left the ball is going to start roughly on the target line but because your path is left then that's going to create the curve and your ball will curve and miss right of target so the easiest way to think of this is a sort of little bit of a let's say a slogan if you like the club face sends it and the path bends it and it's a great way to remember just actually how important the club face is and really the, the, um, what the uh, actual responsibility of the face and the path is. So a great thing for you guys to do at home is to actually just practice with a, a, an alignment stick on your start line and make sure you just have some awareness. If you, is your ball starting right? Is your ball starting left? But also this key thing with this is that the majority of people when they look at their golf swings, they are looking at the symptoms. They're looking at basically the bigger things that are happening in the golf swing. They're looking at the hanging back, they're looking at the over the top, the early release, but they're generally not looking at the fault, which generally is the club face. And if we can attack the club face and change the face, these symptoms all of a sudden are a lot easier to start to fix. So I think the number one thing from this really is create some awareness of what your club face is doing. If you can video your swing and have a look at your face, but also assess your start direction. If your ball's consistently starting to the right, then change the face, whether it might be a grip change, a backswing change, a downswing change. Um, but you really need to start to look exactly where your start direction is because then you can start to change it. Yeah, again, it's, it's tricky to see that start direction sometimes. So again, use your video, use your, your, your camera on your phone and put it directly down the line and you'll see where the golf ball is starting. Maybe hit 10 shots and then say, okay, where's it consistently starting on that line? And as Andy said, you need, if you look, if you're going to get rid of these big over the tops, early releases, hanging backs, swing faults, you need to make sure you, you cut off the flow to the, and the reason for those faults happening. It's like I always say to people, if the petrol station's on fire, you've got to turn off the petrol. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to change those swing faults. So yeah, make sure, again, use your camera on your phone and get some awareness. Really important that you get that awareness. Right, speaking of awareness, number three, testing your ball striking. So... Andy, you mentioned earlier about the bottom of the swing. You yeah. Know, so what is the lowest point of the swing? Golfers really struggle with knowing what theirs is, don't they? They don't really know where that is. Yeah, and for you guys listening to this, how many of you regularly get on the driving range and practice and test your low point? Are you checking to see um, where your low point in the swing is? I would guess that the majority of people listening to this don't do it. I certainly see the, the majority of the golfers that I see come, they're really more focused on what the ball's doing in terms of, you know, is it curving to the right, is it curving to the left straight or whatever. They're not necessarily thinking about, I'm going to do some low point training today. I'm going to make sure my ball striking and, um, you know, club interaction with the ground is good. And it's so key because the majority of the guys who are trying to break 90, 
their low point is inconsistent, often well before the golf ball. So that's when they start seeing these heavy shots. Mm -hmm. They don't get the energy to the golf ball. They can hit some high weak shots, which lead to short bunkers maybe, uh, missed greens, and then it starts to accumulate and add up to a high score. So testing the ball, your ball striking, should be a priority every week if you're on the range. So yeah. just can, even if it's good, if your ball striking's good and you feel it's, it's okay, you should still be in the habit of testing it to make sure it is good still. Okay, so how do we test it? How do we test that? Well, what, well, a couple of drills. If you've got some grass to practice on, this is probably our favorite. So get some spray paint, spray a line on the ground, and then line up some golf balls on that line, and simply just hit some shots. And we want to see roughly where your divot starts. So if your divot is starting before the white line, then your low point generally is too, too early. But if you're taking the ball followed by the, the turf after that line, then obviously your low point is in a good place. So ideally, what do we want to look for? We want to look for you catching maybe some of the line and the divot happening past the golf ball, after the golf ball. But if you're, you might find there's some inconsistencies there, but if you were to hit shot after shot, you really want to start to see that uh, some element of consistency where you're taking the ball, some of the white line, and the divot after. If you haven't got access to a grass practice area, then maybe lie a towel, four golf balls behind, and just hit shots, doing your best to actually hit the golf ball without hitting the towel. And this shows if you are hanging back or your low point's too early, you'll start to hit the towel um, and bottom out a little bit too early and hit the ground first. So um, it's a massive one, this is, Pierce, from, from a low point perspective. If you can improve that, if everyone can improve their ball striking, they're going to hit more greens, um, improve their consistency from their distance, and, and it's going to be huge for the scores. Do you know what? I mean, we had um, a couple of things on that for, for sure that, you know, you, you need to be absolutely have this awareness of what you're doing. And we first saw this drill in 2012. A, a good friend of ours, Martin Hall, was coaching us in a course in... Um, West Palm Beach, Ibis, and we we were there for the weekend, and we were watching improved golfers, and he put this, he sprayed this line on the ground and put some golf balls on it. And we we're thinking, okay, what's he doing here? And we kind of understood what he might be doing. We couldn't appreciate before how powerful that drill was on the information that gave to the golfer watching it. So you need to find a way of doing this. Um, now, the one thing that we that we specifically do when we have clients hitting shots off that line, we get them to hit a shot, and especially if they hit what they feel is a good shot. And you know, we kind of think, well, like, do they think that was a good shot? So I'll say to them, right, don't look down, tell me, was that a good shot? And they'll probably say, yeah, that was pretty good. And then we look down at the line and we see that they actually hit the ground before the line. Now, you hitting the ground before the line doesn't mean that the shot is going to be terrible, it just, mean it, it just means it isn't going to be the best it can be. So that shot that they've hit, which was actually pretty good, it felt pretty good to them, there's two things that they will definitely get out of this. The first thing is they could have been a heck of a lot better with that. So when you actually say to them, say, well, look, what would ha actually happen if you were to hit the ball and then the line, or the line, and then miss the line on the other side? They would be, okay, it was probably going to go a club further at least, and it's going to have more control. And that shot that they felt, the second thing is that shot that they felt was actually okay. That's kind of the shot that we see that just hits the top of the bunker, just short the green, goes into the bunker, they splash out two putts bogey or worse. So just by actually dialing in that strike and making it even better, 
it can be a massive thing for you. Now, if golfers only did this when they hit their irons, if they only ever had a, a, a spray line on the ground and hit golf balls off that line, they're going to improve. <coughs> now, um, we did some filming at Grand Del Mar in, um, in, uh, in California, Southern California, and Sean Cox, who's the head pro there, has put lines all over the driving range. So people can hit golf balls as a matter of just normal practice, off those lines, they are there for them. So if you're listening to this and you've got a practice area and you really want to get the best out of your golfers and make them come back, spray those lines on the ground so golfers can just go there and just hit some shots because it gives amazing feedback. Do you know what? A funny question here, Pence, that we get asked a lot is, what's the, what's the best training aid we can buy? You know, what's, you know, what's the best one we can buy? Go and buy some spray paint. That is the best bang for your buck in terms of a training aid because it's really cheap. All you need to do is spray a line and it's instant feedback. But the funny thing is, it's an external focus as well. When you have this external focus of just trying to hit the, the ground past that line, it has a massive impact on what you do. And it changes your concept as well. Mm. So this really helps with the concept side of things, understanding just we want to get that ball followed by the turf. So um, the best training aid you can buy for your irons, uh, whatever level, is some white spray paint. And just use that every time you go. You will be a better golfer. If you do that for the next six weeks, you will be a better golfer. It hasn't got to be white. You can use whatever colour you like. We always use, we white. use white, so we always call it the Don't white use green. <laughs> Don't, yeah, green is what we say. Green lasers are meant to be very good. Maybe they should buy the me and my golf spray paint as well. When I, you think, we should, I think we should do some piercing. I think we should do that. New training aid coming up. Um, okay, so that's with the iron, with the driver. Again, we want to test the strike. So we use foot spray a lot, Andy. What do we, what do, we do with the foot spray when we're testing the strike with the driver? Yeah, I mean, foot spray from your chemist. Um, I think it's just athlete's foot spray, which uh, works very well, actually. Yeah. Um, but just literally spray the face. And you can do this with an iron as well. But again, just hitting shots and seeing where your ball striking is. Um, now, on the driver, it's probably a little more important um, to understand because you've got the curvature of the face. And the curvature not only impacts the start direction, but also the curve on the shot, so if you're hitting the heel, it will start more left and curve to the right, and if you're hitting the toe, it'll start right and curve more left. Um, so often your shape with the driver could be being influenced by a, um, an off-center hit, and you know, you're gonna lose ball speed with that as well. But I think the key thing with all these, which sort of encompasses these, is awareness, you know, pivot, club face awareness, ball striking. If you have the awareness on where your ball striking is in terms of your low point, where your ball striking is on your face, you have then the power to actually start changing them. So by testing and measuring your strike, you, are, you will again be a better golfer just because you have awareness of actually what's going on. So look, it sounds pretty simple so far. If you're gonna go and practice and work at these things, the first three things I mentioned, the pivot, the club face awareness, and the ball striking, you just need your foam and you need some spray paint and maybe a towel if you haven't got the, the, the grass to hit off. So, you know, it's pretty simple to actually work at your game. And even your local pro will have some face tapes. If he's a fitter, he'll have some face tapes mm -hmm. that you can put on. If you haven't got spray paint, you can put on your irons and your driver and that will show you exactly where you're hitting. So next time you go to see your pro, go and ask him for some, if you can just steal some uh, face tapes off him. Again, or just steal them without asking, it's fine. Yeah, just go in the shop and just shoplift it, of course. We don't recommend that at all. Um, uh, look, I mean, it's, it's amazing how many lessons that I've given over the years where all we've literally done is get the strike more centered and the golf ball has gone on the fairway. So yeah, don't, don't always think it's something massive. You know, what the club face does and what the striking does is probably the most important thing that you can do with your golf game. Okay, number four, Mr. Proudman, we have putting distance controls. So, the three putts. How many three putts do we think that golfers are having who are trying to break 90? 
Well, we still have a few, so <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, it's a, the people who are trying to break 90, they definitely have a lot more than us. Well, if, look, if, here's the thing that we would definitely recommend on this. Look, if you were just to keep some stats on how many putts you have per round, if you are consistently having three to seven to eight, three putts around, just imagine what would happen to your score if you didn't three put. Oh, there you go, you've just broken 90. So, you know, being able to be a good putter obviously is going to help massively because we generally find, Andy, that the higher the scores with golfers, the more wasteful they are on their yeah. putting for lots of different reasons. Practice is probably the main one. You know, generally golfers who are trying to break 90 are probably at the range a lot. Yeah. Whereas, yes, of course, you need to go to the range and work at the things we've mentioned already, but you need to be very, you know, or you need to, if, if you're an average putter, would that make you a better golfer and shoot better scores? Of course it would. So, when it comes to, to distance control with putting, Andy, there's a few things we want to look at. And I think maybe people struggle for a number of reasons. And I think one of them is they do focus a lot on their technique, don't they, when they're on, a, say, a 30-foot putt. And that can be a yeah. problem, can't it? Yeah, definitely. And think about this. With these longer putts, if you had Jordan Spieth at three feet and you had Dave Smith, who's shooting 95 from three feet there's probably not going to be a massive difference in holding those puts. The stats is literally... But you put Dave there at the same. 30 feet next to Jordan, Jordan's going to be a, a miles better than Dave. So, you know, it's not really about getting the, the, ones, the closer ones in. It's about getting the, um, the longer ones closer to Jordan's speed. And yeah. if you can do that, then you are going to be better. So, as you mentioned, Pierce, the, the technique side of things, I think partly with putting and, and golf is that when you're looking down at the golf ball and the putter head you're not really looking at the target so you're not necessarily um, focusing at the target on that point so it's so easy to start, start to think about technique and what's going on with the putter and uh, instead of actually really just sort of honing in on the target and getting the feel of what the what the stroke should be like to produce the right distance I think so many people are just trying to control the putter head and putter face to try and get it online instead of actually really looking at the green and trying to get the distance nailed on. And you look at Jordan Spieth, I know on the, his longer puts, I don't know whether you guys noticed this, but on his longer puts he will look at the hole um, and put without even looking at the golf ball. And really that's a great thing um, to do because it takes your focus away from what's going on um, around sort of the golf ball and the putter. So you're looking at the hole and playing your shot, really zoning into what the feel of the putter should be, Pierce. And, I think not only that, in terms of the stroke, we see some common things in the stroke, don't we? Especially from the longer putts. I think that's the difference yeah. between somebody, let's go with Dave again, because Dave's, Dave's our guy. Um, from three feet, to moving up to the 30-foot putt, Dave's stroke won't, Dave's backswing won't change that much compared to Jordan's. Yeah, I mean, look, so it's, it's interesting. We're going to come to Jordan Spieth again in a minute, because that's actually the drill that we want you to, to look at to improve you with your long distance. But... You're absolutely right. When someone, when Dave is over the three-footer, the length of his backswing is probably going to be very similar to the 30-foot range. Yeah. Now, all he does is he changes the how he applies the, the speed on the downswing. So, again, let's say he goes back five inches, six inches on the backswing on a three-foot putt, and on the way through, he's beautifully controlled, and the ball dies into the hole. When he's at 30 feet, he goes back six inches, but he has to accelerate excessively in order to get that golf ball to the hole. That's when you get mishits. That's when you get unwanted rotation in the club face. That is when you just basically become a more, more inconsistent golfer. So we 
We always feel like we want to get a tempo which is similar back and through, what out. I mean, blast motion do a very cool sensor now, which talks about tempo. Um, so there's things like that that you can look at, but ultimately, when you are on that putt, we want you to have a good tempo. So if we think of Jordan Spieth when he's looking at the hole, Jordan Spieth when he's looking at the hole, it's like he is playing football, it's like he is throwing a ball, he's like he is doing everything else. He's not looking at what he is throwing or kicking or hitting. What he's looking at is the journey that the golf ball has to take or the journey that the, the, the object has to take. So. You know, you wouldn't look at your hand when you are throwing the golf ball, when you are throwing a ball. So think of this, what can it do? By looking at the hole from 20 or 30 feet and saying, right, I am just going to focus on getting it dead to the hole. What will naturally happen to your stroke is that the length of the backstroke will naturally get longer. So the tempo will become more even throughout the stroke because you are focusing on where you want the ball to finish as opposed to trying to control the stroke. So I hope, I hope that makes sense to you. So. That's your drill in this instance here. Your drill is to look at the hole from 30 feet and hit putts, working at your pace control and feeling a tempo which is more even throughout. So we're not going to generalize and say everybody has a short backstroke and a long through stroke, but that is the most common fault that we see. 99.999%. <laughs> and even if you are someone who, who decelerates, which we just actually don't see a lot on long putts, if you are someone who has a bad stroke in a different way, again, by looking at the hole and doing the Jordan Spieth routine from 30 feet, it's definitely going to allow you to generate a much better tempo and pace control throughout your stroke. Okay, anything to add on that, Mr. Brown? No, I think that's, that's, uh, pretty that's simple, good. Isn't it? So look, hey, look, so here's your, here's, your, here's your things to do from this. Practice the Jordan Spieth method, become good at laying the ball dead to the hole, but also take some stats on your putting. And if you have stats already, look, you'll probably know how many three putts you have. Let's see if we can get your rounds to 36 putts. If you can get 36 putts in a round, we're pretty sure you'll be breaking 90 as, as, uh, as you are without changing anything else in your game. Okay, so the fifth and final, approach play. So by that we mean, obviously, how you approach the green. So um, there have been a lot of stats, a lot of talk about what is the most important thing in in golf, you know, we've heard the drive for show, putt for dough, and of course, putting is important, but so is driving. But guess what? From stats, from people who've looked at this, we're looking at approach shots as being the most important. Because think of this, if you have a 150-yard shot, if you just simply were to hit the green, the worst you're probably going to do is three more shots. But if you're on over that iron shot and you put it in a bunker, then you leave it in the bunker, then you thin it through the back, and then you chip in three, but whatever. You know, the scores escalate when you start to miss greens. That is how, if you could hit, again, a few more greens in a round in regulation, then you are going to be a better golfer. And it's not as hard as it, as it sounds. Obviously, if you work at your technique, it can help. But I think, Andy, that a big part with the approach play is the strategy as well. Yeah, it definitely, Pierce. And whenever we play with, um, let's say, our friends, some of our friends, that you know, obviously amateur golfers as well, um, their strategy does let them down. So club selection, you know, how they're approaching, where they're looking, where they're picking their target, all these things massively influence their decision. Let's just go with club selection first because I think club selection is a massive one. And I think a lot of people have heard this, but they still, unfortunately, don't necessarily take notice because on the golf course, um, a lot of golfers have ego. Mm -hmm. Some people do. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that, I hit that wedge once and it went 145 exactly, yards. Exactly. So that's yeah. how far I hit it. It's 100. I can get it there. If I hit my perfect shot, I can get it downhill, on that green. Downhill, downwind. And I think this is definitely a problem. Like if you you know if you've got a, a shot that a flag that's at the front of the green with water there, and you're you're picking the club that you feel that that if you hit it perfectly, it will just get over the water and go next to the flag. Well, guess what? You, you know, golf isn't that game. You need to actually give yourself some room for error and. The best players in the world don't always strike it in the centre of the club face, so you have to give yourself a margin for error. So for us, just taking a little bit extra club is, is massive because you need to allow for a slight mishit or, you know, depending on where the danger is as well there. Um, so first of all, club selection, don't go on. You've got to take out the ego. Don't pick the club that you think you could get it there if you hit perfect. Just, just, just on that, Andy, because this is a very serious, very serious issue in that... You know, you will often remember your best shot with a club, let's say a 7-iron that went 165 yards, and you'll think, well, your brain tells you, which is so wrong, that actually that's that that's what you should be doing. That's what I should expect of myself, so yeah. I must hit that club. Well, that's just not the reality of that. No. That's, that is actually stupidity, because if that person were to say to a child of theirs, you know, what club are you going to hit? And they said the 7-iron, because I know that I should hit a 7-iron and it should go this distance. You say straight away to that kid, well, actually... You're probably not going to do that. You should maybe hit a six iron. So you know, just just being aware of that is massive. Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. I know it, it is, and I think it's just a, it's just a really important thing on the on there. It's hard to do because you know when your friends hitting a seven or an eight iron, and you're thinking, well, I've got to hit a seven or an eight because he's hitting it. Instead of actually going, well, I don't care what he's hitting. Let me go with a six iron or even a five iron, and just play my game and get it in play, and just allow for a little bit of a margin for error because you aren't going to always strike it at the centre of the face. So I think just just bearing that in, in mind is really key. Um, but also the strategy when it comes to aiming at the greens. Now, the majority of golfers, and this is, you know, this is what golf's all about, isn't it? You get to the, you get to your approach shot and you see a flag and you think, well, okay, I've got to hit it to that flag. But majority of golfers just aim straight at the flag with no real thought of, um, if they don't quite get it to the flag, where's the ball going to be? So if the flag, I mean, we, we always talk about the, the Asprey Pierce, 18th hole, if the flag's at the front of the green there, you've got water there, you've got water there, you've got bunkers left, you've got bunkers right. Now, if you're playing that hole and you're in a medal and the flag's at the front, you are not going to go with a club that's going to give you the distance to the front of the green. You are going to go, okay, well, look, I want to be middle of the green, the fattest part at the back of the green, which is which is safe. So you're going to go probably 10, 15 yards past that there to give yourself a safe play. But the majority of golfers will step on that tee, look at the hole, look at the yardage to the flag maybe, and go, that's the yardage, I'm going to hit it to there. And I think we went to a, um, a conference with a, a golf coach called Nick Starchuk, um, who lives in Canada, and he was talking about getting his some of his players to out on the golf course and actually take all the flags out. And they, they played a round of golf um, without any flags in the green um, to obviously just to change their mindset of actually rather than getting drawn into all the flags, they were just going to hit the middle of the greens. And I think there was a few guys who shot their best scores. Pierce, two, out, two out of the three golfers, and these are top-level golfers, Category 1 golfers, so five handicap or below. Two out of the three shot the best ever score. Yeah, and that's just taking out the, the, the flags and just going for the middle of the greens. So I think if you ignored the flags and looked at going for the middle of the greens... On every green, you know, maybe something for you guys to have a go at. If next time you go on the golf course, ignore the flags, aim for the middle of the green. Because the great thing about going for the middle of the green is, if you hit it slightly shorter, then you're probably going to be on the front of the green. 
If you hit it slightly longer, you're gonna to move towards the back. If you hit it left or right, then you're still giving yourself a little bit of margin for error. And that's the key thing. Golf is not about hitting a perfect shot every single time. You've gotta go, well, if I hit a poor shot, where's it potentially, where's the danger on this hole? So hitting the middle of the greens gives you a little bit of freedom, right or left, front and back, to actually play some bad shots because guess what they are always going to be there those bad shots unfortunately yeah it's, it's interesting you mentioned that conference that's actually was run by james ridyard um and it was it was a very it was the day before the the monday of the open wasn't it the first week first day of the open week and there was actually another gentleman there called scott force who's from uh, texas i believe and he's he works with a lot of tall players in america and he everything is a mathematical approach to him he's obviously a very clever guy he was uh, exceptionally clever and he would advise golfers on the tournaments on pin positions based on how they should attack it. So, for instance, if a flag was front left and there was water front left, kind of like at the Asprey, you know, he would have zones on the green where you can attack. So you wouldn't go for, you know, you don't necessarily go for the flag. You know, going for the flag would be a minus two in that situation. You know, there's, if you went for the middle of the green, that would be a plus one. So he had a scoring system based on how how far left and right you could be of that golf ball. And he had... An, an amazing amount of stats on dispersion of shots. So tournaments where there's even PJ Tour events where there's a front left flag, like we were just talking about, and where people missed the green. He put the dispersion of where people missed, sorry, a dispersion of all the shots hit on that green. Sorry, it was amazing. Even with the tour players, how many people missed short left? Yeah. And why would you be? Why would you even be contemplating hitting it there? So even the tour players make this mistake. So maybe we can make them better than tour players. Well, do you know what? That's they're they're working. That's something that they're working. When it comes to separating the best guys as well, you know, how many times do you, 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 do you hear that it's all about the mind? And that becomes part of it in terms of decision-making, you know, decision-making where you're going to aim and, um, and picking the right spots and attacking the spots as opposed to attacking the flag and being sensible. And I think we, we talked about it earlier, Pierce. If, um, if you, see, let's say you, see, you see a hole-in-one from a top-level player, mm -hmm. People think, oh, that was an amazing shot. It was fantastic. But there's a, probab a, a very probable high chance that that top-level player wasn't aiming at the flag. So if he's hit it in the hole, he's probably either pushed it or pulled it off his target and got it in the hole. So that's something to think about. You know, If you aim to a spot where you can hit a poor shot and it still goes close, then that's a great thing to do. And I think if you're aiming for the flag and you hit a poor shot and then it misses the green, then obviously you're in trouble. So... Picking a spot on the green where you can hit a spot that, that's attacking but gives you margin for error. And if you pull it and the flag's left, well, look, you're close to the hole. So that's a really good point to do. And, and I think Nicholas, won a, um, he went at Pebble Beach at the US Open and he actually, 17, I think it was, long par three, and he, he hit his approach shot to a couple of feet and he pulled it. It was back yeah. left. The flag was back left. And he admitted afterwards that he pulled it. It would have been very good for, easy for him to say, oh, yeah, I just went for the flag. Yeah. You know, obviously a very honest guy. And he just said, look, I pulled that shot. But... If he'd have been aiming for the flag and pulled it, yeah, he'd have missed Ms. the green. green. And it would have been a horrendous shot for the same shot. So his strategy, as you say, allowed him to hit it really close. So, and and yeah. it's interesting with somebody like Nicholas there, people would have watched that tournament and go, oh, that's an amazing shot. Yeah. You know, under that pressure at that time, he's hit it really, really? close. That's a really aggressive and yeah. confidence. Again, if he's pulled the shot, he's, nobody knows. He's, he's hit a poor shot and actually yeah. come, off, come off with a good result. It was just an amazing strategy. And I think, you know, we talk about Nicholas. We talk about Tiger Woods. They are, you go on YouTube and see Jack Nicholas's best shots and Tiger Woods' best shots. They have pulled off some of the best shots yeah. ever. 
But guess what? They were amazing at their strategy. They're very sensible. They understand what flags they can go for and what flags they shouldn't be going for. Yeah. And of course, sometimes, you know, you see Tiger, there's certain, certain shots where it was all or nothing. But generally speaking, Tiger is a master tactician. So I think, look, what we're saying from this, you know, the easiest way to do this is to actually go for the middle of the green. So whether you use a GPS app or whether you use a watch or it's a little bit harder with a rangefinder, but actually aiming for the middle of the green gives yourself the best chance of, of obviously getting it on the green and then allowing you know and then giving yourself two putts. And I think again another thing to allow into this, if you were to do two things, so if you were to go for the middle of the green and actually hit more club than you think it takes to get to the middle of the green, you're probably going to find you're going to be in the middle of the green yeah. more often. And then you've got the chance of knocking it close. And one thing I will say, Andy, on all my hauling ones, the flag was in the middle of the green, so I must have been aiming for the hole. So they weren't lucky. I think the problem is, is um, <laughs> with the fact that I've not got one yet, I'm aiming too much at the flags. I keep missing. I need yeah. to aim off the, off the target yeah. and I'll probably fluke a couple of I was aiming for the bunker when I hit mine. In, yeah, <laughs> but no, it, look, it, it, is a, it's, it sounds very simple to say, aim for the middle of the green, aim for, you know, hit one more club than normal. You know, that is not... It's not always an easy thing to do, but if you can discipline yourself to do this, look, I've worked with, I've got guys, I've got a guy that I'm working with now who's a very, very good example of this, who's a, he's a, he's a very good golfer, he's a scratch golfer. He finds it really hard to aim for the middle of the green. His ego won't let him do yeah. this, but he started to do it recently and he's been doing some of his best scores. He still won't admit it fully, but I think, look, aim for the middle of the green and take one more club. And, and just one last thing on this, on the, on the approach play and how important this is. We were recently at an event in Spain where we were actually playing the 18th hole and the 7th hole at Flamingos Golf Club uh, in Marbella. So we were we were playing that hole all day. Now, the 18th hole was a tough hole, um, and the gentleman I saw, who we've got a great relationship with just on that weekend from knowing a great guy, he hit a really good tee shot. His second shot, he was hitting a 6-iron. And I'm like, okay, there's no way he's hitting that 6-iron onto the green. I've seen him hit some shots the day before. He was a good golfer. There's no way he's hitting that green with a 6-iron. I said to him, right, do you think that 6-iron can get there? So I'm questioning him when he's playing this shot. And he's like, well, and he says, and I said to him, do you use your rescue? Hint, hint, hint. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah I use that, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he pulls a 5-iron out, hits a really good shot, hits in the bunker short. And then afterwards, I said to him, I said, look, do you think if you'd hit your rescue as well as you just hit that five iron, you'd be on the green now? And he went, I think you're right. I think I would have done. But the thing is, it's not so much that. Would he have had the awareness afterwards that actually he made the wrong choice as opposed to hit the wrong shot? Because he'll think that he, his shot wasn't great. It wasn't good enough. Whereas actually his shot was good enough. It wasn't the best six iron, five iron, sorry, he's ever hit. But it was good enough to hit the target if the strategy had been right. So if he'd done the same thing with his rescue, he'd have been on the green. He'd walked off with a par potentially as opposed to a bogey, which he did. And he'd have blamed his swing, not his strategy. That's the of key course. thing there, which is so be what the majority of, of golfers will do. Be aware. Please, please, please be aware. Okay, look, so that's... Um, hopefully you can get some relevant things out of that. I mean, look, it's... There's so many ways of improving at golf. It isn't always about technique. I know we've spoken about the technique in the first three areas, but what we've actually spoken about in the pivot, the club face awareness and the ball striking is just be have some awareness of what you are doing. And then obviously putting and then strategy are obviously another a couple of things that you need to really look at. So make sure you start to question yourself and be aware of what you actually do and maybe not so much what you think you do. So Andy, leading into that 
awareness, I believe you have a very good quote. Yeah, like you say, the awareness is the important thing on every single one of these. So hopefully you guys can go away, look at all these things and create some awareness um, and you will be better for doing that. So yes, a, a quote to finish off the podcast we like to do and it sort of sums everything up here. Awareness is the greatest agent for change and that is Eckhart Tolle, who I haven't got a clue who it is, Pierce. Eckhart Clever Tolle. guy. Very clever guy. Um, but yeah, great, a great aware. quote there, I think, you know, on every single one of these. We can be aware of uh, what's going on from a strike, from your pivot, from your ball striking, distance control, your approach play, your club face. Um, you will be a better golfer. Yes, so we hope you enjoyed that. Now, we really enjoyed doing these podcasts. This is still quite new for us. This is just obviously, obviously episode 20. So we want to be able to grow this as, and reach as many golfers as possible. So if you did get some value out of this, please share it with your friends and leave us a review on, on however you um, download your podcast. And we will be with you next time on the Me and My Golf podcast. So if you are somebody who struggles to break 90 and you want to sort of have some further coaching on this, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, our Break 90 six-week plan has just gone live over at meandmygolf.com. So make sure you head over there and check it out. And you can sign up and get your free 14-day trial and check it out, guys. We know you're going to enjoy it and we know you're going to see some improvement. Thanks for listening.